This episode of Afterthoughts was recorded on the 30th of April 2020. Every day, 34 people in their 20s and 30s are diagnosed with cancer. On the 7th of July 2015, I was one of the 34. On the 28th of August 2008, I was one of the 34. These are the stories of what happens afterwards. This is Afterthoughts. spoke at the same time that's a good start isn't it you go oh okay hi Alice <laughs> hi Toby how are you I'm good you know I was trying to think of uh, not uh, just repeating the same thing that we say every time but <laughs> I filled this that 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 little sentence yeah how are you yeah I'm all right um it's been an interesting interesting couple of weeks yes give us the update from from you yeah so uh, my husband decided to get appendicitis in the middle of a pandemic yeah which... great timing uh, yeah, ex- excellent timing. Yes. <laughs> um, but it's fine. He's um, he's at home now. He's had his appendix out. He's recovering. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's certainly been an interesting... What day is it today? It's Thursday, isn't it? So it's like a week since he went into hospital today. Um, and yeah. he had his surgery on, on Friday evening and then came home on Saturday. Um, so yeah, that's been occupying quite a lot of my time. What have you been up to? Well, I mean, not to say this is uh, the same as your lovely husband's pain that he is in, but I have, I think I pulled a hamstring. Not, oh. I haven't pulled a hamstring. I think I've just got light, light strain, Alice. Oh. Um, again, not to the level of having my appendix out, but um, I'm doing the uh, for th- 34. Um, oh, yes. To, Explain that. Yeah, I'm doing uh, for uh, Trekstock um, and, you know, they're supporting the podcast. So I thought I'd do some support back as well. Um, and I have to do 34 days of exercise. Um, and me and my partner decided to do, so we do 34 press-ups, 34 sit-ups and 34 burpees. I think um, you're absolutely bonkers. I really yeah, I thought, I thought it was easy at first. Um, and Burpees are so hard. Yes, yeah, and that's the thing that I think has done the old hammy in. Um, so um, that's my update. Day Brilliant. four, and I want it to be over already. Yeah, and we're still in lockdown, still very much in lockdown, aren't we? Probably should mention that. That's why we're, we're zooming away. I hope the audio is okay. Yeah, fingers crossed. I mean, you know, we're, we're doing our best. That's all we can say, I guess. Has yeah. the um, leaf blower stopped outside your house? Did it start up again? No, 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 no it's, it's gone. But if the leaf blower does start up, everybody, it is a leaf blower. We've yeah. learned from Chris, uh, Chris's episode about that we should tell people when the sounds are there. Right, exactly. Um, and this is our last storyteller of the series, isn't it? It is indeed. Yeah, Afterthoughts season one has, has flown by. Yeah, and we've, um, how many episodes have we had out now? We're on five. We're on five and there's, uh, yeah, a couple more to go. I mean, yeah. And um, who is our last uh, storyteller, Alex? Oh, that's a nice link. Well done, you. I'm really excited to be joined um, today by the brilliant um, Lulu Socrates. 
Um, I think that's how you say her surname. I should probably check. But um, I've been following Lulu on social media for ages. She was one of the first cancer accounts I found on social media, I think. And um, the thing I really love about Lulu is how, I was just saying this to Toby actually, um, how incredibly generous she is with what she's learned about her, about life. Um, through her cancer experience and that's part of the reason why I thought she'd make an amazing storyteller for Afterthoughts and I'm really really thrilled that she's going to be our last one. Have you met Lulu before? Um, I believe so. We have crossed paths in the past. She has the most magnificent hair. Well I mean we've all our hair is all, has all has changed quite a lot since lockdown. Um, oh I've learned um, this is the thing that's happened in my life quite a lot is I've learned how to use I, I think they call it a hair 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 brush. Uh, yes the hair brush yes. I've been hair brushing because my hair is long. And I have like a tiny little bun that is essentially all of my fringe uh, just like pulled back, scraped back off my head, off my face. So my fringe comes down to about like below my cheekbones now. It's so long. There has been quite a lot of, um, I've been seeing some of the cancer community talking about um, the length of their hair, how they've never had hair this long before and yeah. able to grow it out. So it's, it's really interesting times. Yeah, I haven't had, I haven't been able to put my hair in a ponytail. I mean, it's a pretty piss poor pe ponytail, but I haven't been able to put my hair in a ponytail since uh, July 2015. And on that note, there's that piss poor ponytail. We'll welcome Lily. <laughs> there we go, we're recording. Um, hi Lulu. Hi guys. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's so nice to have you here. I'm really excited to be here. How are you enjoying um, your lockdown situation? Um, I, ha I have to admit, I'm really enjoying it. Oh, okay. <laughs> it really suits me. <laughs> I'm, I'm really loving working from home um, to the point where I don't want to go back into an office environment, but I know I have to. Uh, but also I feel I'm, I'm an introvert in that I get my energy from being solo and um, so I'm feeling very nourished and whole right now um, but still feeling very connected to my friends and family so I feel like I've got a great balance uh, and I'm having a really good time. Yeah I definitely think on a personal level it is the introvert's dream isn't it like obviously yeah. the external factors yeah not great. I know that's, I have to have to have to say that Alice I'm really sorry like I'm not enjoying what's going outside in the outside world. <laughs> You know, um, so, so I'm just on a personal bubble level. Yes. Yeah. Um, what, um, what's been getting you through? I think the fact that we've got technology really, really helps. Um, I've been in various forms of self-isolation in the past with cancer or um, being home for long periods of time on hospital for long periods of time. So, um, but back then we didn't have all the technology to connect us. Um, so I feel we're in a really great position right now. This had happened sort of five years ago. I don't know if we'd have coped so well. Uh, the fact that we have Zooms and Skypes and all these apps coming up where people can play games and socialise really help. And so I just feel like we've got, we've got so much access um, oh to and entertainment and tutorials and online fitness. Like there's just so much there for us. Um, so technology has proven, you know, I think we have a love-hate 
relationship with technology a lot of the time. Um, but I think it's really come into its own at the moment. So Lulu, welcome to Afterthoughts. Um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and being our last storyteller of season one. Season or series, Alice? Are we going American or? Prob season. Okay, season. Season one. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so thank you so much for joining us. Um, and yeah, bringing your stories um, to the podcast. Um, we always like to start the podcast though um, by focusing on the uh, person before the uh, cancer. And so we have some quick fire questions for you. Um, should we mention that we know that you've, you've listened to the other podcasts, so you might already know some of the answers. It does also mean she knows what the wrong answer is. <gasps> Maybe she- Okay, no, no, it's okay. It wasn't my favorite. Ah, okay. Um, I laughed so much because I watched the, I listened to them consecutively. Oh, brilliant. Um, so it was just for the third, by the third uh, podcast, I was in giggles with the, with the answer. It's insane, isn't it? Um, so, Lulu, our first um, question for you on your identity is um, what pronouns do you use? Um, she, her, please. Um, what, who do people say that you look like, Lulu? I don't know. I don't have anyone in mind. I have been thinking about this. I mean, I have a resemblance to my dad, some people say. Um, I think in my younger years, for definite, at the height of Sex in the City, there was a comparison to Sarah Jessica Parker. That's a good answer, though. Don't, it's don't, really don't good that. answer. that's great. Thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> look at me now and go, no, I don't see it. But it was 10 years ago and I looked slightly different. Um, what was your first pet? A uh, hamster. What was the hamster called? Missy. Oh. Where do you say you're from? London. Um, and can you please tell us what your favourite soup is? <laughs> Not mushroom soup. To be honest with you, um, controversial I don't like soup I have had a, a couple of soups this year I've, I've discovered a smoked haddock chowder by um, Covent Garden soup company so I've had that a couple of times this year and quite liked it but um, on the whole I feel cheated with soup oh we feel we both are so passionately about soup don't we especially like in the winter <laughs> Potentially, this is the last time we would ask that question about soup because you never know if we do it another season, Alice, we might change the, the questions up. Yeah. And I really love that your your last answer is just don't like them at all. <laughs> I just think I've been cheated out of a meal of like of a, of a meal experience. It's not a meal experience. Mm. Lulu, three words describe yourself. Um, do you know what? I did think about this overnight, and I couldn't. I've, I've come up with so many wonderful words. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna just go with my gut right now. So I would say happy, uh, passionate, and untamed, untamable. I don't know if that's untamed. Ooh, I love that, untamed. That's a, that's a really good one. That's very powerful, yeah. isn't it? Then, final question. What was your favorite childhood TV program? Um, no one seems to have heard of this. Uh, which is bizarre because when I was younger there were only four channels but there was a, <laughs> um, there was a program called Out of This World 
um, that my sister and I were absolutely obsessed with and to the point we made our own box set so we recorded it every week I, yeah and the thing is I've never come across anyone and my sister and I were both of an age where we both enjoyed it there's four years between us but we both loved it um, and yeah I've never found anyone in either of our age groups that have that know of it you know um, um, Ludo could you please give us a brief uh, a brief um, outlook on what was your diagnosis and the treatment that you had Sure. Um, so I was in my early 30s. I had been poorly for a while, but I genuinely thought it was just IBS and stress from work. Um, I mentioned before I was in a, in a really stressful job. So I, the symptoms are very generic with the cancer that I have. Um, so, and because, you know, in your early 30s, you don't think about being sick, really. You know, you just, I was trying to fix myself with green juice and yoga. Uh, but I got progressively worse and worse and um, went to see an IBS specialist at, it was, I think it was um, October 2011. And luckily he picked up on it straight away. That was a Tuesday the 11th, I think. And then on the Thursday the 13th, I was in hospital. It happened very, very quickly. Um, they had found um, a stage four tumor uh, coming out of my pancreas. Uh, which ended up being a neuroendocrine tumour. So it's a very rare type of pancreatic cancer. So it's not as aggressive and as fast as normal pancreatic cancer. It's more, it's hormone, it's a hormone-fed um, cancer. So it's slower growth. So I'd had it for a few years uh, without knowing. And so by the time they found it, it was bigger than a grapefruit and had attached itself to uh, most of my gastric system. And um, I had to start chemotherapy straight away with the intention to reduce the tumour because it was too big to operate on. Um, and so I had six months of three different types of chemo cocktail mix. Um, and then we managed to shrink it just enough to find two surgeons to operate. And that was in May 2012. Um, and then I had uh, chemo again after that until, until the October of the following year. Um, so again, October 2012, um, just to sort of make sure there were no sort of loose cancer cells around. Um, yeah, and then the journey really began after that, I would say. Okay, so we are gonna start um, with a story of uh, beyond a diagnosis. So obviously things change, um, possibly understatement of the century, um, when you get a cancer diagnosis. And um, we'd love to hear a story from you about something that happened to you beyond that diagnosis. So over to you. Um, okay, so I think for me, it was six months after treatment had finished. So I had done the first lot of chemo, I had a very, very big life-saving operation, I had more chemo, and then everything was fixed and done, and you're left on your own to go and play. And um, I didn't know how to move forward. And everything I had tried, I tried to go back to the person I was and the life I had, and that wasn't working for me. And I got more and more sick, 
uh, mentally, um, in terms of mental well-being and my mental health. And, um, and physically, I was left, the surgery and the chemo had left me probably more sick than I was before I started treatment. So I wasn't in a good place. I didn't know how to move forward. And I got um, directed to the Marie Curie Centre. Uh, it's a hospice in North London who have an outpatient centre on the top floor. I felt like a fraud and I felt I shouldn't be, I didn't have a right to be there because in theory I was cancer free now. And, um, and you spend the first, the first day, you spend uh, two, three hours with a doctor at the, host, at the, at the outpatient centre who goes over everything with you, what you've been through, your illness, why you're there. Um, and it was only at that point did I realise that I had been really, that I was very, very sick. Um, so I gave her my whole history and explained to this woman who didn't know anything about me what had happened. And, and then I said to her, well, I, and I don't know why I can't go back to normal. I just want to go back to normal and I can't do it. I don't know why. And it was this doctor who just basically said, because you're very, very sick. And I don't know why it took that for me to realize at that stage. Um, but it did. And it kind of hit me. Um, in a way that it hadn't hit me before when I was going through treatment and when I was in and out of hospital, I just, I got on with it. I just didn't really kind of identify as a patient or a sick person. I didn't give myself license to feel that way. But I think to heal and to move forward, at some point you have to do that. And it's a different point in the game for different people. You know, there isn't a right or wrong. It just happened to hit me six months after treatment. And I guess that was the beginning of um, my healing and my moving forward. Some parts of it are very clear and some parts are still very fuzzy. I think I went home and I remember crying. I, there are very few moments of the cat's journey where I cried. So I guess um, they stand out. And I cried out of relief. Um, Something had, something had clicked in that conversation uh, and it just, this whole sort of floodgate of relief came out and I felt just very hopeful for the first time in a long time that I had a way through because at that, at that point, before I'd, before I'd gone to see them, I was, I was feeling very bleak. My life felt very bleak. I didn't know how to move forward. Um, I remember just thinking, if this is life now, then I would have rather died, you know? So it was, it was a really it's a really bleak time. So to have a conversation like that, to give me a tiny ray of hope, was just a very powerful thing. And I just kind of, oh, I'm getting choked up just thinking about it. Yeah, I just, I went home and I cried. And I thought, oh, wow, I feel heard, I feel understood. And I feel, I feel that something can be done. So I was prescribed a physiotherapist. I was prescribed a counselor. I was prescribed art therapy. Um, I was prescribed uh, a reflexologist um, and um, yeah just various things I mean the physio was probably the most important thing because I had no idea how to physically move again they had cut me open uh, to the point where movement was very very difficult even just walking so um, that was a real big game changer yeah so they kind of prescribe you things and you come away with a group of experts that can help you and it's just it's so empowering i never at the time i never expressed my gratitude and it's something that is 
still playing on my mind all these years later and I often want to send a card or a letter uh, to say thank you and the amount of times I've sat there with a pen and paper I, I want to, I want to express my gratitude because that was you know it was a real turning point for me and I just don't know how to express that so I, I'm still still trying to find words all these years later Thank you, Lulu. So our next uh, section is called Invisible Impacts, and it is an opportunity for us to share some stories of some of the things that perhaps aren't always seen after a diagnosis. So could you share a story for us? I think for me, it was purpose and transformation that um, may have not been visible to the outside world. Um, Given my age, uh, you know, I was in my 30s, as you know, most of your listeners and you guys can relate to, you know, at that stage in life, you have a tick list and a purpose and you're told, you know, I had my career and I was going to do this, I was going to do that. And, and then cancer took everything away from me and I didn't know what I wanted to go back to. I didn't know maybe what my purpose was anymore. It definitely wasn't my career and to get married. You know, those things um, just weren't part of my plan, but I didn't know what my, my new plan looked like. So I think lack of purpose at that point was a really big impact on my mental well-being when I walked into the, um, the Marie Curie Centre at that time, which we discussed earlier. You know, when I felt at my absolute lowest, um, lack of purpose definitely played a part of that depression. Um, and through their help, I was getting a little bit stronger. And I started to feel that I could put myself back together. They gave me the techniques and the things to start putting myself back together again. And then a few months down the line, my um, psychologist, who I was seeing at the Royal Free, uh, recommended that I walk, I, I step back and away from the Get Married Curie Centre. Um, because she felt that by going there, I was keeping myself labelled and stuck in the cancer world. You know, being stuck and labelled as a cancer patient, um, and I understood what she was saying, but I felt lost because I didn't know where to go at that point. I understood that I had to do it for myself, but um, so I'm, I luckily I live in London. I have a background in health and well-being, and so I sat down and I started reaching out to the professionals around me in terms of nutrition and fitness alternative therapists, yoga, all of that stuff. And as the months went on, I started to get stronger and I started to feel a bit like myself again. And I remember taking up swimming and I had just done my second session. And you know, Alice, what it's like when you're swimming, you feel really alive. And, and, uh, and I just, I remember having a shower afterwards and just feeling absolute joy for the first time in such a long time. Uh, and I just thought, big, big wave uh, come over me. And I was like, you have to share this. You have to share what you're doing with other people. Um, because I don't want anyone to ever feel like I did when I walked into the Marie Curie Centre all those months ago not knowing how not knowing where i was in the cancer game not knowing how to move forward 
not understanding what was going on. Um, so that wave, that feeling of, of helping and extending and sharing what I was doing, I guess was the beginning of Lulu and me. Um, at that point, Instagram was relatively new still. I never heard of it. A friend set me up and I wasn't quite sold because I don't really, at that point I didn't like social media. I wasn't on it. Um, but it gave me a platform to start sharing what I was doing. And I guess that then led to my new purpose all by itself. You know, it was a transformative year. Um, and then I found, I found my purpose. And then I just started feeling that, I don't know, that new sense of, of myself for the first time. I feel that we need to move forward. We have to grieve. And again, as I was saying before, you know, it hits people at different stages. Um, but part of that moving forward is grieving and it's grieving your old self and your old life. And it's, and it's learning to accept which parts of you you are grieving for. And it will look differently for different people. Mm. Um, you, you will never go back to who you were before. It's impossible when you have a trauma. And, you know, it's, it's not a cancer specific. Trauma is, it happens to people in all shapes and sizes and different guises. And it looks different for different people. But when you go through a trauma, you are never the same again. And you have to accept that. There's an acceptance part. There, I think after acceptance, you then have to grieve the part of you that is no longer around. And it could be part of you, it could be part of your lifestyle. And then you can start looking forward to the person you are becoming. It was a really, it was a really important part of getting me to where I am today. Um, I, looking back now, I wasn't happy before the cancer diagnosis. And it's really funny that I wanted to go back to that part of my life because those few years beforehand, I was grossly unhappy. So why I wanted to go back is beyond me. Um, and I think there's, there's different elements to why I was unhappy, but one of them was my attempt at trying to conform to societal pressures. Part of it's our, my community that I was in, part of it is just society, you know, been telling women where to be and what to do at certain parts, which is a slightly different narrative now out there, which is great. But this is, you know, quite a long time ago where women, you know, were being sold something different and, and we had to be everything and do everything and run around in hills and, you know, build these great big empires and be mothers and, you know, all of this stuff. And I totally signed up for it, but it was not, I guess where I wanted to be or what I wanted to be doing. So it's a really big internal struggle for me, which caused my unhappiness. Um, and I think cancer stripped it all away. And it's a, you know, it's a very, you know, I see this on Instagram. I've seen this quote on Instagram and um, it really hit home. It's like in the haste to go back to our old lives, we have to look at what we want to go back to. And I think cancer makes you really look at that. Having that time out, with yourself there's a lot of time with yourself and your own thoughts and so you are forced to kind of go okay why was I unhappy what wasn't right for me and then I think as well maybe because of the age I was at this point I was coming into my mid to late 30s I just felt I got to an age where I just wanted to do things my way and it was a really liberating experience to go actually I don't want to go back 
that wasn't important to me or I want to do this my way, not at a certain point in my life that society is telling me to do it. You know, so it was a really liberating process to to shed, to shed and to sort of click with what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it and what worked for me. And that gave me so much inner peace and calm that I had not had in my life before cancer. And as I said before, like, it's not like everything's massively changed. I still want a lot of the same things that I did before, but it's just, I want to do them in a way that feels right for me, not because I have to tick a box. Um, we're going to move on now to talking about those around us. Um, obviously, cancer happens to the patient, the individual, but um, we all know from our experiences that um, it happens to lots of people around us as well. So, Lulu, we would love to hear a story um, or stories from you about those around us. Um, ready when you are. Thank you. I always say to people who have been for the cancer bubble, I always ask them, is your friendship, was your friendship landscape during cancer what you thought it would be? If I had asked you to put your money on who was going to be around and step forward to you before the diagnosis, does that picture marry where you would have put your, you know, bet your dollar? And every single time people say no. You know, what you think, who you think is going to step forward and be around uh, and support you is never the reality. Um, good ways and bad ways, you know? Um, I had experiences where people disappeared, close, close friends who I thought were close friends. I had some people who I hadn't spoken to for over 10, 15 years come step forward from nowhere. I lost contact with them and somehow they found me and they showed up in ways that blew my mind. Um, I got closer to, I guess, friends who I thought were just sort of social friends really came forward and were just my rocks. And we have such, we are left with such a strong, powerful relationship. And then, you know, equally, it was an opportunity for me to um, maybe lose some friends who I had been meaning to for a while because they, they, didn't make me feel good. So yeah, people kind of come forward and or not, you know, it's never who you think it's going to be. Uh, people surprise you. I think cancer just shows you who your true friends are, but also, you know, it brings out the best and the worst in people. Um, again, a bit like COVID, <laughs> another similarity, you know, I think we're really seeing people now um, in a different way. So yeah, it was, it's a very interesting, it's a very interesting experience. I tended not to want people uh, around me at the hospital. I kept my, I kept my world very small and private um, during it. I wasn't on social media there and I didn't allow people to, apart from the month I was in hospital. Um, I, yes, I, of, um, I wanted friends around and friends came to visit but it was a very selected few um, but the support came in other ways it wasn't always with hospital visits and things it was just you know texts and emails and you know uh, I was really really sick and 
often I couldn't text back uh, at all um, or for long periods of time. And some friends didn't let that stop them. They just texted me. Mm. And I'm thinking about them and it wasn't to exchange in a dialogue. Think, they were thinking about me, sorry. It wasn't to exchange in a dialogue. It was just sending love. You know, I had friends who wrote to me. Uh, I've got a box of cards and letters and I had not gifts and but it was more just it wasn't the gifts so much it was just the love coming through in in messages and it wasn't because they wanted to talk to me or exchange in big conversations it was just i love you i'm here i love you i'm here um and it's very powerful very very powerful when you're in when you're sick uh to have that flooding in um and like i said it, it came from people i wasn't expecting to you know and i will forever hold them in my heart for for just what they did for me during that time. I don't think I can ever express, and I don't think I'll ever understand actually what that text or that email meant, you know? Um, and there was one friend, bless her, for some reason, I just never managed, the timings, I never managed to reply to her for the best part of a year. And she would still show up with love, big, big love. And then when I kind of got through it and I was like, I'm so sorry. But, you know, and I feel like my whole life now is trying to repay her with this love that she, she flooded in. Um, yeah, people, people are amazing, aren't they? I mean, they just, you can't, get, you can't get through cancer without people. You can't. I saw a beautiful quote this morning on um, Laura Lee Dockerill is um, talking a lot about postpartum psychosis at the moment. Mm -hmm. And there was a lovely quote that she put on social media today and she's just got a book out, but she said, and actually of all of the medicines that were prescribed to me, the one that served me best was love. And I was just like, Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, I got goosebumps. <laughs> That's so lovely. It, yeah. Oh gosh. I mean, yeah, you can't, you can't get through it. Can you? Mm. I think also, you know, there, there are things that I would do differently in my, in my, my time if I was to do it again uh, but you know you have to forgive yourself because you did the best you could with what you knew then and now you know things differently so you know I try not to dwell on that too much but I think back then when I was through it there was a frustration for me in that I wanted certain people to show up in a certain way so depending on their role in my life you know I had a preconception that if you love me then this is how you have to turn up and, and help me and serve me and love me and and they did it and they did it their way and i didn't see that i was focused on you're not giving me what i need from you in the way that i want it and i lost and it's not something that i i knew how to do until only recently it's allowing people to show up for you and love you in the way that they love and then they can give you um, you know, when I look back now, I'm, I may have been an ungrateful, spoiled brat to certain people at certain times because they weren't loving me the way that I wanted to be loved from them. And I lost sight of the fact that, they, that you know, they can just turn up and play computer games and that is their love and that is their support. You know, um, so that's something kind of a, a, it's a regret and a learning on my part. And I have learned to do that more in more recent years is letting people just turn up as themselves and love me for themselves and not tell them or impose on them how I want to be loved.
Thank you very much, Lulu. Um, Lulu, we are moving on to the section which is gift or grievance. Uh, and with the conversation with the other storytellers, we've kind of seen this is a scale. And we wondered uh, if you could tell us a story of, yeah, your feelings of where you are on that scale at the moment. I am indifferent. I don't really, I just, it's like the whole soup thing again, isn't it? You know? Right. <laughs> Spanners in the work, left, right and centre. No, I don't, I don't see it as either. I've just, it is what it is. It's something that I was meant to, my, I was meant to go through. It was something that, it was the trauma that I was meant to have. Um, and it is what it is. And, you know, I have days where I'm at, I have more days now that I'm at peace with it. And um, but there are times where I'm frustrated with it. But you can't really go into either spheres too much. You know, you can't you can't sit there and and hate what's happened because it's happened. It's just everyone is everyone. No one goes through life unscarred. We are all given trauma in different ways. Um, and there, going back to what I was saying before, there's an acceptance with it. So to say that I don't have a grievance with it is not to say that I don't have a frustration with it. There is a frustration some days, but I don't see it as this big traumatic, know, this big thing that happened to me and I wish it never happened. And life doesn't work that way. Life happens, mm. right? Uh, at the same time, I'm not sitting here going, oh, life gave me lemons and I made lemonades and like, oh, cancer changed my life and I'm a better person for it. It's, it's a process, you know? I'm really happy with where I am and it happened to be because I went through cancer, but equally, you know, it was what I had to go through to get here, but it could have been another trauma, you know? I've had other traumas in my past that didn't get me there and it happened to be cancer that got me there. Mm. Um, so I kind of, I don't know, I don't look at it either way. I don't go, oh, it's a blessing or I don't sit there hating it. It just is what it is and I just get on with it really. Yeah, and I think, I think it's a growing scale. So I definitely started at the grievance side. Even then I didn't, it wasn't, oh, oh I hate cancer. It was just frustration that I didn't know how to be me. And it was that inability to, to look after myself. So there was a, there was a the frustration, I would say it's more frustration. I never, it was, I never go, I never wished I never had cancer. I never was like, woe is me, or why did this happen, or any of that stuff. It's, you know, there was a frustration there for sure, and I wasn't happy. But that was, again, the, the unhappiness wasn't just of the cancer. It was an unhappiness that was there before, you know? Um, definitely, as time has gone on, that feeling has lessened. And I have, without sounding too cliche, um, I've never been happier in my life. Never, ever. I am, I'm annoyingly happy. I wake up, I'm the person that I used to, didn't, I never used to like ridiculously happy morning people before. And I am that annoying, ridiculously happy morning person now. Um, and I'm so happy and I catch it a lot. I don't take it for granted. It always surprises me because I was so unhappy before. And so when I kind of catch it, I just want to squeeze myself. And I know that it's a result of, it's not a result of, I know dealing with cancer really forced me to look at my life and rebuild it and rebuild it in a way that makes me happy. So how can I, how can I really begrudge that experience? How can I ever really 
hate it too much. And yes, there are days where I am bed bound and frustrated because I want to go out and play and, you know, work until midnight like I used to. But that's so short lived because I'm happy. So, yeah, I have this. Yeah, I don't know. It just flits. But it's definitely, definitely, I guess it's more of a gift now, I guess, listening to myself process it, you know, maybe, yeah. But again, it's, it's, it's a cumulative journey and cancer was just part of that. I have to plan my time meticulously, right? So for a night out, there's a lot of prep work. I have to prep the days before and I have to have a buffer the days after. Um, and by prep, I mean you know, eats well a uh, certain way, eat a certain way, make sure that I've worked out, but not too much, got good night's sleep, then I can go and have a night out on the Raz in the way, in the shape that I want it to be, you know, because I do like to party. And so I can do it the way I want to, the full capacity of, you know, party the way I want to. And then I have to have days to, to, to recover from that physically. So that is a frustration, you know, I would love to be spontaneous. I love, I would love to just be spontaneous without any prep. And I would love to party for two, three days on end. I can't do that. So there are times where, you know, in the summer or on holidays, particularly holidays, when you're out with a group of friends, you know, I went to Croatia a couple of years ago with girlfriends. Um, last year was in Ibiza, which is, you know, I wanted to party for two days and I couldn't party two days in a row. And you and I beat that, but you just can't, you know? Um, so there are frustrations there. But again, it's been so many years now that there's an acceptance that I've come to peace with that it's just, it is what it is. And the good stuff still outweighs the bad stuff. Literally take me two, three coffees before cancer. It would take me two, three coffees before anyone was allowed to talk to me. So there was like a rule in the office not to talk to me before 10 o'clock, which people took very, very seriously. Um, whereas now, you know, I just wake up and we can have a full-blown conversation and I'll be annoyingly like, it's like Care Bears, just blasts, blasts, sunshine everywhere. I'm so annoying even talking about it. I know, I know, I know I annoy people in the office because I come in every morning, I'm like, hello. And uh, yeah, I catch myself and I'm just like, oh God, they hate you. But at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna change now. It's just, accept me as I am. We're gonna move on now to talking about um, the lost conversations and, you know, um, there are, we're having loads of conversations now that we've never usually had about cancer, but yeah. the young adult community, generally, we feel like there are still some conversations that we are not having enough. Um, have you got any thoughts on this, Lulu? I have loads of thoughts. I mean, literally, we could talk for hours on this. I'm going to try and condense it. Um, we are so much better now at talking about even using the cancer word you know um when i got diagnosed back in 2011 um people were shocked that i was going oh i have cancer and not using the c word or you know just all the all the sort of secret words around cancer you know the fact that we can say cancer now uh and not not get overly emotional about it um is great 
Um, I think social media, I think Instagram in particular has really come into its own for the cancer community. It is um, enabling so many conversations, um, not just for people that are in treatment, but also for those who are out of treatment and moving forward. And years and years down the line, you know, I didn't know at the time that it was going to be a forever process. And I genuinely thought you finish treatment, you have a big party, and then you go back to life. So there was no conversation about all the stuff that happens afterwards, the whole healing process, how long it takes for your body to get back to normal, if it ever does go back to your old normal. Uh, there was no conversations about the mental well-being impact. There was no conversations about what it does to relationships or your finances or your sex life or your skin or putting weight on and not wanting to get dressed in the morning. You know, there was no conversation about going back to work and what that looks like. Uh, there was no conversation, no conversation. I think when I first signed up to Instagram to start up Lulu and me, um, I don't think anyone was using the hashtag life after cancer, I think, until I started using it. So back then, that's not a long time ago, really, these conversations weren't happening. And then in the more recent years, it's just flourished and grown. And there are so many people really um, steering that conversation forward and having big conversations out in the open and uh, taking the taboo away and, and just connecting stories and people so they don't feel alone when they're going through all this stuff and I do really think that Instagram has had a massive role to play in that uh, charities are taking on these conversations they were before you know um, yeah there's just so much so much good conversation I still feel that we are at the beginning of it though I feel that we have such a long way to go because the statistics are showing that you know one in two one in three I forget what it is now of people are going to be affected by cancer are going to have cancer so with numbers like that we need to really grow these conversations um, to serve the population um, and and have them in a in, I don't know I just I think I think it's happening I think it's a really positive thing that's going on right now I think conversations will just continue to grow because there's different there's so many different you know no no two people are the same so someone might have an issue with one part of recovery and some people might have a different so all these conversations need to have you had you know so there's not just one conversation that needs to be focused on for my part in this um it's why i set up luna and me um it was to have these conversations that i couldn't have with anyone else at the time I needed to have those conversations, you know? Um, I didn't know it at the time. I was started doing me just to share as almost like an outward communication. And I wasn't quite expecting all this feedback from people saying, me too, me too. And I was like, what do you mean? And I had no idea that I was talking to people who were going through exactly the same as me. And then, and then, and that's how it all kind of grew. And then I just feel like that's kind of shape, shaping where I take Lulu and me as well. It's just, it's that whole me too part that I love that people need to talk. People need to hear that other people are going through that experience. And it's finding your community because there's so many great conversations being had on Instagram and in um, festivals and in charities and at events. And, 
you know, but at the same time, it's different conversations and people need to plug into the one that fits them. You know, the conversation that you, Alice, may need to have will look different to the conversation I will need to have, which will look different to what Toby needs, right? Our needs are different because we're different people. So it's about almost finding your tribe within a tribe. Like the cancer community is really big and then it's just finding the community within that, that, that gives you what you need at that stage in your life. And, you know, I think for so long we focused on the young and then the end of life as well. But, you know, what I want to focus on mainly is women in their 30s, 40s and 50s, because typically middle-aged women are just not spoken to enough. Cancer, no cancer, you know, we're kind of like a forgotten group. Um, and so I really want to, I want to keep steering that conversation to women in that age group um, and, and be, and hopefully be a tribe for them. There are three women who very, very early on would just write going, whether it's DM or outward, outward in the post, just saying, I had no idea that other people felt the same way. Um, I'd, we struck up a friendship and I still am very close to the, well, one, one of the women has passed away, but I, she's always in my thoughts. Um, and then the other two women I'm still very close to. One is slightly younger and one is considerably older. So it's quite interesting that I connected with both of them uh, in the same way. But again, I think it was because, I think it's because no one was having that conversation at the time, right? I seem to be the, one of the first ones that I know of in the UK on Instagram that were saying, I'm no longer in the cancer bubble in terms of I'm no longer in treatment, but I'm really still struggling um, and I'm still healing and I'm still learning. So I think that's what people connected to at that time. Last section, perfect, all right. Story time for Don't Laugh. So, oh um, some, a moment from, uh, yeah, the experience uh, in treatment or after treatment, just after a diagnosis basically, of something that you have found uh, fairly amusing. Um, you know what, there are quite a few moments actually. Uh, because I really used humour to get me through. So I did, to some people's uh, shock, I did probably laugh at stuff a bit too much. Um, but that's what helped me, right? Um, so there are so many moments that I could call upon, uh, but I think my favourite always has to be, and I always, I love asking this of people who have been through chemo, is to share their chemo frog stories because you're, it's just people get up to the most bizarre things when your brain isn't fully in gear. I mean, I found phones and fridges and cucumbers and drawers. I, oh yeah, I mean, just, just daily crazy stuff. I think my favorite, and we still giggle about it now. Um, so at the time, I, I think I'd just finished the second series of chemo. And I was spending probably a week a month with my best friend in her house. She had just had a baby. So she was on maternity leave. I was in my re early recovery. And so we kind of used that time to really just hang out, right? And um, so I was staying in her house, probably like a week a month. And um, it was one afternoon and we said, oh, should we have a cup of tea? 
So I said to all, I feel, I feel strong, I feel well, I'm going to put the kettle on, I'm going to make you a cup of tea this time, because she was always making me tea. So she's like, oh, are you sure? And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm off, I'm off. And I went to the kitchen and I, you know, took the mugs out, put the kettle, filled the kettle up, put the kettle on, put the tea bags in. And when I sat back down with her and waiting for the kettle to boil and I would get up and carry on making the tea and we started chatting away and then a smell hit us. She's like, what's that smell? And I was like, I don't, I don't know. So we ran into the kitchen and I had put the electric kettle on the hob and put the flame on. <laughs> I don't know why. I had never had uh, one of those cooker kettles before. <laughs> I didn't have one at home. I don't ever use electric kettles. So yeah. Uh, and we just looked at this melting electric kettle on her hob, gas hob. And uh, yeah, it still makes us giggle. That was, that was my favorite chemo brain. I mean, what, there's no other reason. It was definitely the chemo brain. Thank God you guys had like a relative, thank God your sense of smell wasn't affected by chemo. Cause if it was, that yeah. would have been a fire. Oh God, for sure. I don't, uh, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> and it's good that it wasn't a fire because now you can laugh about it. <laughs> So Lulu, um, we like to always do uh, our afterthoughts on afterthoughts. Um, as yeah, and this is yeah the last of of the the season we've decided, haven't we? Rather than wow. series, Anna. yeah. Um, so afterthoughts on today's episode, Alice. Do you want to kick us off? Yeah, I think there's um, something I talk about a lot uh, and think about a lot is grief. And um, my afterthought on today's episode is that possibly a lost conversation is that we all need to get better at talking about the sort of grief that we feel when we've been through cancer treatment. Um, Lulu, what's your afterthought on today's episode? Um, can I also just use this very quickly to say thank you for having me. Oh, it's thanks for coming fun. on. So much fun. Um, Really, I really, really loved it. And I also have just loved what you're doing with this. I'm so excited there are more seasons to come because A, you guys are an amazing duo. And I just want to, I just feel like you should be DJs and keep doing podcasts and keep chatting because you guys are great at it. But also you're, you are going back to what we were saying before. You're giving, and this is, I guess my afterthought really, my after afterthought is that we really need to keep having these conversations. It's not a one-off. We need to keep having them, we need to keep growing them, we need to keep accessing different people. Um, so every conversation in any format is wonderful and just needs to keep growing. Excellent, thank you. And Toby, last but not least, finishing off the season, what is your afterthought on today's episode of Afterthoughts? I think what's really stuck with me is that, and, and yeah, how, people love you in different ways and they give you love in a way that they um, feel they can do and want to share with you and yeah that's that's really really stuck with me uh, throughout this whole episode and that's the most um, emotional I've ever seen Toby <laughs> um, thank you so much Lulu for coming thank and spending you. time with us oh um, thanks let's do it again <laughs> It's been glorious. Thank you so much, Lily. Thank you so much for doing all this, guys. Honestly, I know it's a lot of work. 
um, and it's not easy. So we've loved I loved it, haven't we? We've had a great time. Yeah. Great. yeah. <laughs>